Now today, apart from a massive sword, there's a giant pair of eyes behind me. Why? Because we're starting a new series, and the series is titled Easter Eyes. You see, you and I are going to be looking at the Easter story from the perspective of those who were there, starting first with the disciples. And what we're going to discover today in Matthew chapter 26 is that once again, Jesus clearly communicates God's plan of redemption, that Christ has to suffer and be crucified. And yet when Christ is arrested in the garden, the disciples respond out of the flesh instead of by faith. Why? Because they were still making it about their way and not God's will. And as you and I look at their response to God's plan of redemption, it should challenge us to check our attitudes and our actions and to ask ourselves this question, whose eyes are we looking at the Easter story through? You see, my prayer is that we will see things from God's perspective so that we will be people who participate in his plan. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read the first two verses and then jump down to verse 47. Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover begins in two days and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Now jump over to verse 47. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and the elders of the people. And the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came to Jesus, greeting Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scripture be fulfilled that describes what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but this all happened to fulfill the words of the prophet as recorded in the scriptures. And at that point, all of the disciples deserted him and fled. You see, as we look at their response to God's plan of redemption, it was one of rejection. God, I I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. You ever been there? And you and I need to see clearly here In this story, the reality of rejecting God's way, and that is that it will always bring pain, and people will always have to pay. You see, the only way for you and I to truly have peace is to do it according to the will of God. And this morning, you and I have to talk about a really difficult subject, and that is hurt, pain. 
The pain that we inflict on other people and the pain that is inflicted on us. Because what we want to do with the Easter season is we just want it to be happy, right? We want to go pick out the perfect Easter dress and the right shoes to go with it. We want to get the right outfits. We, we want to get the right candy. We want to just go have fun. But you see, there's two realities to Easter. One is hurts and the other is hope. And if you and I don't deal with our wounds, they will fester and our lives will be filled with pus and we will poison the people around us. But if we just don't look at the hope that we have, we'll get hung up on those hurts. And so today I want to deal with both sides of not the story, but both sides of the sword. You see, there is the handle side. Those of us that are doing the hurting. And there is also the blade side. Those of us who, not by our choice, but by the hurts of others, are doing the bleeding. And it starts first with this servant, number one, named Malchus. Now, all four of the Gospels record this event where his ear is cut off. But only John tells us that his name is Malchus. The scriptures also reveal that it is Peter who is the one wielding the sword. (laughs) What's interesting here is scripture tells us that he is a servant or a slave of the high priest, Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the one who doesn't like Jesus. Because Jesus is popular with the people and Caiaphas wants to be popular. And so again, his motivation is not out of doing the will of God, it is his want. And so he sends his servant on literally the world's most impossible mission. Have you ever thought about this? He sent his slave to go and arrest God. Great. How'd your week go? What'd you have to do? I had this huge assignment. What was it? Oh, I had to go arrest God. But it was all right. We had some clubs. We had a couple of other dudes with us, and we had a couple of swords. I mean, they were just fishermen that were with him. It was really no big deal, right? Here's what you need to understand about this. The only way that he could be successful is if it fell within the will of God. Because if it didn't fall against the will of God... There was no way he was going to be successful. Isn't that our mission today? To be on mission with Jesus, to do things his way. How many of us are finding life to be impossible and we're wanting to give up and we're not really having a whole lot of success? Why? Because we're trying to do it our way, not God's will. Now, to give you a little bit of a taste of the story of reality, that this is not some Disney fantasy This is real and it really happened. I want us to look at a couple pictures. The first one that you're going to see up here is actually in what we believe was Caiaphas' house down in what we would call a basement, the lower level. There are some holding cells. And and in there is one of these. And in the rock, there are these uh, carvings in the rock where then they would put ropes through there and they would tie people up. And do you remember that Jesus was arrested in the garden and he was brought to Caiaphas's house and they had this, this trial. And it went against God's word, the law. Because 
they were not to try someone this close to a major holiday, a festival like the Passover. And they violated that. We, we don't need to listen to God's word. We're going to do what we want. We've got a plan. They also had to have the whole of the Sanhedrin, and they didn't have them all there, but that didn't matter. We're doing it our way, right? We cut corners so often, and we look at God's word and we say, I don't need to follow that because I've got a plan. I'm going to do it my way. Now, the second picture that I want you to see here is actually the road that goes down to the Jezreel Valley. This is, this is where... John tells us that, that Jesus actually crossed over here as he left after the Passover meal. And they went into the garden and they prayed, or at least Jesus prayed, and then they came to arrest him. And then they went ahead and brought him up this stairway, and this is right outside where would be Caiaphas's house. And, and what I want you to Realize is if you get to go to Israel with us next year, you'll get to walk in places where Jesus walked. This is a real story. But what I want you to see about this servant is not just the obvious physical pain. Man, we so focus on the obvious physical pain in people's lives, don't we? The ear that was lost. I'm sure that was excruciatingly painful. But what I want you to see here is that his hurt was tied to trust. You see, he trusted Caiaphas, but he should have been able to trust Jesus' followers. And what do you do when the very people that you think you can trust turn on you? It's what David said in Psalm 41.9, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. You see, there's going to be those painful times in life where people that or in a position of authority, maybe a parent, maybe your pastor, and they're going to wound your heart. And what I have learned in life so far is that the more we trust the people, the greater the pain, right? The, the higher the level of trust, the greater the pain. And that's why some of you are running around broken today because you got parent pain in your life. You have this incredible trust of your parents and they broke that trust in your life or trust of a pastor, But can I tell you something that's kind of obvious that we know but we don't want to deal with today? People are going to fail you. And maybe it's going to be a pastor that that brings pain into your life, and I hope that's not an intentional thing. But you see, our tendency is to take that pain and to transfer it to Jesus. Can Can I tell you something in the passage Jesus never hurt anybody but he did heal people and some of us we have been hurt by people who represent God or represent his authority and what we've done is we are blaming the failures of Christ's followers on Jesus that's wrong Jesus didn't hurt you And Satan wants you to believe that so that you won't experience healing because you're never going to go to the healer if you think he's the one that hurt you. Caiaphas, he was the master in this position, right? Encouraging someone to go do something that, that wasn't right. And what I want you to ask yourself is this question. Who are you really on mission for today? 
Are you really here just to serve a man or are you here to serve the Messiah? Who's your real boss? Who are you really a servant to or a slave to? I hope it is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not the system. But what do you and I do with that pain? We've got to bring it to the healer, right? Because how many of us have allowed our lives to just be poisoned today by people in positions of authority who we trusted deeply and they violated that trust? Let me encourage you to do this. Don't put your pastor on a pedestal. Put him on a prayer list. Because he's human. And he might hurt you. And if you have been hurt by people, whether it's a parent or a pastor or someone that, that is in a position of authority, please don't transfer your pain to Jesus. Don't start blaming Jesus for the failures of his followers. But you see, this wasn't just a matter of trust. It hurt because it was a matter of timing. There is no way that this servant, Malchus, could have seen this coming. There was nothing he could do to prepare himself. And some of the greatest pains in life are the unpredictable ones. When they sideswipe us. You ever been there where you're rolling along through life and things are going great and all of a sudden you just get T-boned? You didn't see it coming. There was no way to prepare for that. And you know what most of us do in those situations? And remember, Peter wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He was a fisherman, not a fighter. He was not that good with a sword. Peter was trying to cut off his head. Peter was trying to kill him. Do you know what most of us do when people hurt us? Here's what we do. We say these words. I will never let that happen again. And how do we make sure that will never happen again? I'm going on the defense. And a good defense is a good offense. And so here's how we do life in our marriages. Here's how we do life as parents. Some of you are so defensive all the time in your relationships. And you know what happens? Just like I mentioned earlier, man, it was a lonely week. No one really wanted to be with me. You see, we don't protect ourselves. We actually bring pain into our own lives because we end up living these lonely, miserable lives because people don't want to be around us. And it's hard because every one of us has that tendency, especially when people come at us and we weren't prepared for it to say, I'll never let that happen again. But here's the thing. While you're living in your little castle, protecting yourself from the pain, you're also cutting yourself off from love and life and everything else that you need. And many of us, we're chasing people away today. And some of us were chasing our spouse away over pain that they didn't create. It was someone else in the past. Some of us, we had a failure at the very beginning of our marriage. And you know what we've done? We've said, I will never allow that to happen again. And, and our spouse can get this close to us because there's a sword between us. You see, it's here that we come to Peter, who is the swordsman, number two. And what you and I need to see here is that I, I think his intentions were good, but his actions were an absolute nightmare. You ever been there? I, th I think sometimes if we look at church history, the intentions of the church have been great, 
but the actions have been a nightmare. Some of us in our relationship with our spouse, with our kids, that is true of us, right? Why? Because at this point, Peter was being a careless Christian. And let's face it, careless Christians don't just cripple people, they kill people. They cut people up. They cut them off at the knees. They wound people. And what I want you to understand is is Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. Peter had a call and a commission on his life. What was the call on Peter's life? Peter said on this rock, Petrus, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are you kidding me? Look at that failure. He just cut some guy's ear off. You're going to build your church on that kind of an attitude? You see, Peter chose to do things the way that he wanted to do them. And it became a mess. And you can be called, you can be commissioned, you can be empowered, you can spend all the time you want with Jesus, but if you're not willing to do it his way, you're going to make a mess out of it. So how do you walk with Jesus for three years And when he's arrested, your response is, I got it, Jesus, I'll kill him. I mean, that doesn't sound like a Christian to me, right? That sounds more like working for Satan than it does for the Savior. Why did he lash out? And maybe a more practical question, why do we lash out? Why do we lash out in anger at our spouse? Why do we lash out at anger towards our parents why do we lash out at anger towards that coworker? Why did Peter lash out? I think scripture gives us three reasons. And the first is this. Peter failed to pray. He was invited by Jesus into the garden. For what purpose? To pray. And what did Peter do? He chose to feed his flesh instead of feeding his faith. And it says that he fell asleep. And the second time Jesus went, and here's what's interesting, the second time it says this in verses 40, 41, we didn't read those, but it says, Jesus, then he returned to the disciples, found them asleep, and he said to Peter, notice that? He singles Peter out and he says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What temptation? The temptation to hurt people and to lash out, right? The temptation to, to lie to the servant girl and to say, I don't know Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. The temptation to deny Jesus three times. The temptation to say, I'm going back to my former way of life. I'm going back to fishing because I have been a failure at following Jesus. And so I'm just going to go back to what's familiar. You ever been there? Talked to the pastor this week and he called me and he said, hey, first thing I got to tell you, I know it in my head. I'm struggling in my heart. I said, what are you struggling with? He says, is it worth it? He said, I just want to quit. And I asked him this question. I said, when was the last time you spent true, honest, meaningful time with Jesus? Is it possible that you have been so on the run doing things for God that you haven't spent any time with God? And he said, that's exactly. I said, that's why Satan's telling you that it's not worth it. Same thing happened to Peter. Same thing can happen to every single one of us where we want to throw in the towel. 
I have learned this in my life, that when I don't pray, people pay. When I don't pray, people pay. And, and typically is the people that are closest to me that pay. Guys, let me encourage you, pray. Spend time with Jesus. Why? Because when you're spending time with Jesus, you understand the heart of God and you start to see people the way that Jesus sees people. You don't see the Malchuses as people that just need to be gotten rid of. You see them as people that need to be redeemed. I think you and I, we struggle with prayer because it's hard for us to spend time with Jesus. Because we got to deal with our attitudes and we got to deal with those areas in our life where, where we're doing things the way that we want to do them instead of God's will. But I want you to see here is not only did they fail to pray, but they failed to obey. Let me read to you Luke's account in Luke twenty two forty nine. When the disciples saw what was about to happen, They exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought swords and one struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Did you hear any waiting for an answer? Lord, we've got swords. Should we? Yes, we should. Did Jesus say yes? No, I said yes. We rush ahead of God. Here's the thing. Why ask God anything if you're not willing to wait on his answer? Because for many of us, we're not really asking God, we're telling God. (laughs) We brought swords, we're going to use them, God. We're going to do it our way. Now, here's my question. Why do they have swords? These are fishermen, okay? These are not like professional soldiers. I'll tell you why they had swords. Because Jesus had told them that he would have to be crucified. And they were like, no, we don't want that to happen. That's not my plan. That doesn't fit with my plan. And so, God, I'm going to prevent your plan with my flimsy little sword. How many times do we show up armed? Where where were they? In the garden? This was a prayer meeting. Why did they show up with swords to a prayer meeting? Because they didn't have any intention to pray. They had every intention to fight. Man, does that not sound like some of our families today? We're not showing up to pray together. We're showing up to fight each other. Prayer, you're fighting for one another. But without prayer, you're fighting against one another. I also think here that it was probably a matter of pride because remember Peter had boasted, even if everybody else falls away, I won't. In other words, nobody's as spiritual as me. I mean, I'm the rock. On the church will be built me. And he kind of has this prideful attitude about it, right? You know, when God calls you, don't be prideful about that. Be humble. But remember the disciples, they were, they were so interested in positions in the kingdom of God and power. And it caused them to become prideful. And so I think what happened here is Peter's trying to show him, I really meant it, man. I'm, I'm fully in. I'm committed. And do you notice how he's showing his love for Jesus by killing other people? Do you know what Jesus said? If you love me, obey me. <laughs> the way that you and I show our commitment for Christ is to be obedient to the will of his father, to do his work, his way, not our wants. And so they fail to pray, fail to obey. Number three, they chose to stray. And that's always the slippery slope of sin. 
fail to pray, fail to obey, start to stray. You can see it in the lives of God's people throughout the word of God. In fact, you don't even really have to open your Bible to see that. You just look in the mirror and look at your own life. Now, in Peter's day, everybody, including Peter, was looking for a king to put on a throne, not a savior to put on a cross. And so they really weren't cool with God's plan. And many of us, we're really not cool with God's plan. We want to do it our way, right? And so that means that we don't pray, we don't obey, and pretty soon we start to stray. And where do we stray? We stray to doing it our way instead of his will. You see, Peter believed that they, their greatest problem was a political problem. And if they could just remove the Romans, life would be great. All I need is Jesus to remove my problems, get on the throne, and I've got it made. And you know what happens in the church when we don't pray, we don't obey, we start to stray. But Jesus understood that they had a greater problem than a political problem. They had a sin problem. And if Jesus had just removed the Romans, where would that have left us? Heading to hell. Because removing the Romans doesn't do anything about my sin. You see, isn't it amazing how we always see somebody else as the problem and if we would just get rid of them, our problems would go away. But your real core problem is not other people. Your real core problem is in you. It is sin. And the only solution to that sin is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to say to you is this. When we start to stray as a church because we don't pray and we don't obey, where do we stray to? We stray to the same place that Peter strayed to. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm looking at the church, not just our church, but the church in the United States, and we seem to think that our greatest problem is a political problem. And if we could fix our political problem, we could go on and everything would be great. Just remove the Romans. What's changed? And I'm here to tell you what we don't want to listen to today, and that is our greatest problem is not a, a political problem, it's a sin problem. And if we would deal with our sin and if we would share the story of the Savior and people's lives would get changed, guess what would happen to our country? Our country would change. But we're not going to change our country through politics. It is through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did they try to to change things when it came to politics 2,000 years ago? By force. They showed up with swords, right? What are we doing on Facebook today? We're forcing our opinions on everybody else. We're showing up and we're, all we're doing is fighting. And I'm watching a country absolutely tear itself apart and just constantly fight because no one's willing to say, time out. Our problem is not a political problem. Our problem is a sin problem. Let's deal with our sin. And there's only one solution to that, the Savior. But you see, this is what happens in the church when we don't pray, we don't obey, we start to stray. And we start to stray off mission. We are called to see people get saved, see saved people grow while they reach the next. And it is okay for us to talk about politics, but here's what's not okay. It is not okay for us to get in these fights over things that really are not going to change people's lives and not share Jesus with our neighbors. If if you're able to be as passionate about your political beliefs as you are, then why can't you be as passionate about Jesus? That's my challenge to the church today. So it's here that we come to the Savior. And the first thing you see with Jesus is 
his will, his will to do the will of the Father. Now, Peter had a sword to enforce his will. And he cut off one ear. He may have cut off a couple more. But let's face it, he was not going to win this fight. He was a fisherman, not a fighter, okay? You are not going to win forcing things according to your way. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, not a fighter. But you notice what Jesus had at his disposal? He didn't personally have his sword with him. What he had was the armies of heaven. And he says this, Peter, I could with one word bring the whole host of heaven to my beck and call. And I guarantee you that the angels would have shown up with their swords at the ready. And Jesus would have absolutely annihilated every person off the planet. He would have won the battle hands down, but he would have lost the war. Because that was not God's way. And when you and I do it our way, we may win the battle, but we will lose the war. And so I want to ask you this question. Are you fighting battles today or are you winning wars? Whose way, whose will is it about? Because here's the good news. No matter how much pain there was, God's plan still prevailed. And if you're in a place of pain today, I want to encourage you. Look, God's will will win over your wounds. Not only do we see Jesus' will, but we see his work. And he speaks to both Peter and Malchus here. And here's what he says to Peter. And I don't want you to miss this. Put your sword away. Put your sword down. Okay? Can I ask you this question? Do you have to have a theology degree to understand that? What does it mean, put your sword down? Do you have to go to Bible school for four years to, to be obedient to Jesus? No, you don't. It means what? Let go of doing it your way and start trusting my way. You notice I still haven't obeyed Jesus at this point, right? I got it down, but I haven't actually put it down. I'm just pointing it down, right? That's how most of us are doing the Christian life. It's called partial obedience, which is disobedience. So why don't we put our swords down? Are you going to be obedient to what Jesus Christ is calling you to do in your marriage and put your sword down? You see, most of us were afraid to do that. Do you notice that the other guys that showed up here, they had swords and clubs, right? Jesus, if I put my sword down, I mean, if I really trust you here and I obey you, I'm going to be vulnerable. And so Jesus, here's the thing, I don't trust you. And Jesus, if I'm really being honest in my marriage, I trust my sword more than I do my Savior. Are you willing to obey Jesus and put your sword down? Can I just simply say this, that most of the wounds in our life have to do with words? That most of us have tongues that are sharp like this sword and, and just we're hacking people apart? And we're saying things to our spouse that we would never say to another human being. Have you ever stopped to think about that? the ugliness that comes out of us and the wounds. And what we're really saying is this, but, but Jesus, I don't trust you. Do you believe that Jesus can defend you? You see, some of us, we're spending our lives trying to defend Jesus instead of letting him defend us. But, but are you willing to be obedient and put your sword down? And why do you need to put your sword down? Jesus explains, because those that live by the sword die by the sword. And, and we take that, and he was being literal but I also think that he was talking about our marriages, our parenting, 
our relationships with one another, that if we're going to run around with our cutting tongues drawn all the time, slashing people apart, guess what's going to happen? We're going to experience death. And the person that will experience the death is the one carrying the sword. How many more divorces do we need in the church? How many more deaths do we need in the church? Because we won't obey Jesus and actually put our weapons down and do things his way. Can I ask you a simple question? Did you get married to go to war with your spouse? No. You got married to them to love them and to cherish them. So why are we at war with them? Because we won't be obedient to Jesus, right? We make our obedience based on another person instead of Jesus Christ. And here's how we do that. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loves the church. Jesus, right now, she's not being very lovable. I don't have to love her. Who'd I just make the obedience based on? My wife, not Jesus. But, but in the passage, it was Jesus that called me to be obedient, not my wife. And so this is an issue between me and Jesus. And if I'm disobedient to Jesus, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to wound my wife. Wives, you're called to respect your husband. He's not being very respectable right now. He's acting like a child. I mean, we come up with all of our excuses why we can be disobedient to Jesus. And most of the time, we're making our obedience based on what everybody else is doing instead of what Jesus Christ has called us to do. Put your sword down. And then to Malchus, here's what he says. Let me heal you. It's pretty obvious to everybody around that you've, you've got a slight problem. Now, I do want to say this. I don't think Malchus was the one with the hearing problem. I think it was Peter that had the hearing problem. You know, because while Malchus lost his ear, Peter lost his mind. And that's not the picture we want to portray as the church. But what if Malchus had said, no, Jesus, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, it's not that bad. First century lumber just down the road. They got this new product in. It's called Gorilla Glue. I, just a couple of squirts. I'm good to go. I'll just slap that baby on. It'll, oh, is it crooked? I, it's okay. I can, I can get along through life scarred and maimed and wounded. Jesus, I really don't need you to heal my life. Let me ask you, do you think Jesus intends for you to be healed and whole or to go through life scarred and wounded and broken? He wants to heal your heart. Why don't we come to the healer? Because we've blamed him for the hurt. When I was nine years old, I left uh, Africa and flew 10,000 miles to England. Got off a plane, I was nine years old. First day in boarding school, they locked me in a trunk. These little kids, that I was a little kid, they decided that they wanted to be mean. You know how kids can be. And I ended up being in that trunk for several hours. They forgot about me. They intended just to leave me for a little while just to kind of scare me, put me in the right order as far as the pecking order or whatever they were doing. And they kind of forgot. And roll call came that evening and they were like, oh, they came running to let me out. Unfortunately, I could breathe in there. But it was pretty claustrophobic. And I remember asking this question, God, where are you? Where are you? I'm alone. I don't get it right now. I'm going through pain. I didn't see this coming. People that I trusted have betrayed me. And here's what God said. I'm right here with you. Every time in my life that I've been hurt and I've asked that question, God, where are you? I'm right here with you. And Satan wants to whisper in your ear and cause you to believe that it was Jesus that hurt your heart. It wasn't Jesus. It may have been people close to Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus. And so here's the thing. You and I need to come to the healer. This is the last miracle before we get to the cross. What if Malchus had said, nope, don't need your miracle. I got me. I can do it myself. Can I tell you this wasn't the last miracle because the miracle after the cross 
was the resurrection, the miracle that's changed your life. And some of you in here right now, you have not accepted that miracle. You're like, I can do it myself and I'm going to carry all my wounds and all of my baggage and all of my problems. But you see, we also see the willingness of Jesus here, the willingness to what? To heal those that came to hurt him. To bring mercy to, to those who weren't just trying to be mean, but, but, but wanted to murder him. And this absolutely shames my heart because so many times I have made my obedience to Jesus to serve him based on other people, as I've mentioned. And I've come up with so many excuses for not forgiving people. So many excuses for holding on to grudges. So many excuses for handing out hurt. They deserved it. The question becomes this. Am I willing to do it Jesus' way? Am I willing to trust him and put down my way, my sword, my weapons and pick up his weapons? Because here's the thing, church. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against Satan and all his demons. And we don't do that with our physical words. We, We do that with the armor of God. We can't pick up our swords and fight the real enemy or we will lose. And what we're doing in the church today is we're fighting each other instead of fighting the real enemy. And Satan's having a heyday because he's got us turned against one another instead of fighting for one another. You see, it's here that we come to the last group, the self-righteous. And I just don't get this. I've been self-righteous in my life, but why would you kill the guy that just did the miracles? I mean, why would you murder the miracle maker? Well, because he was the one that was popular and you weren't. It was about your, your way, not God's will. And, and here's the thing that, that I, I look at and I think, you accused him of blasphemy. Blasphemy was claiming to be God. Okay, he just put a guy's ear back on. Who does that? Some of you, you've gone for surgery, right? And we've got some amazing surgeons in, in our area. But you can still see the scars. I mean, there was a healing that occurred, right? But that, that they, they fixed some things that were wrong in your life, but there's still scars. Jesus, when he was done healing the guy, there was no surgery center, okay? There was no scalpels involved. It was his power. And when he was done, everything worked the way that it was supposed to work. It was like he had never been hurt by Peter. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life, not a partial healing, a complete healing. And only God can do that. And they denied who he really was. They said that he was claiming to be God and not really being God. He just proved that he was God. I mean, what did they arrest him for? Being too kind, being too loving, being too much of a healer? And some of you, you're like, I don't get why people hate me. I'm just loving people. That's why they hate you. Because they hated Jesus and and, and they're going to hate you. And here's the thing that you need to understand about self-righteous people. They are more offended by the Savior than they are by their sin. And right now, we've got a country in turmoil. And the reason we've got a country in turmoil is because we've got a lot of leaders who are more offended by the Savior than they are their sin in their life. And here's what's happening. When people in Congress pray, not just pray to God, but they pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When they invoke the name of Jesus, these people are so offended by that but they're not offended by their sin. Their sin where they're passing legislation to abort babies. And can we call it what it is today? It's murder. This is not a choice. 
You don't get to choose to take people out because it's not convenient in your life. And I understand some of you have gone through that and you're wounded and there's counseling available for that. Some of you at that place, there's adoption. There are options, but ending life is not an option according to God. And what we've done today is we've gone completely against our conscience. We've gone completely against God's law and we have gone completely against science because here's what we're saying. It's a woman's body. No, it's not. It's separate from your blood. It's separate from your DNA. It is a human being inside of you that God has gifted you with the privilege of carrying to term. And so what we're doing today is we're saying it's my body, it's my way, it's my choice, just like Peter. And what did Peter try to do? Try to kill people, right? Because he wanted to do it his way. And that's what we're doing today. And we've gotten to a place in our country where we're offended by the Savior instead of being offended by our sin. And we've got to get back to a place where we start getting offended by our sin to the point where we'd say, I need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question as we close. How are you looking at Easter? Whose eyes are you looking through? The self-righteous? Are you looking through them as the swordsman? Are you looking through them as the person that's scarred from the sword? Or are you looking at them through the eyes of the Savior? What side of the sword are you on today? Are you on the handle side? Well, I like being on the handle side. No, I don't. Because I'm handing out the hurt, right? Or are you on the blade side doing the bleeding? You see, there's a third side. You see it now? It's Christ's side. It's the cross. And I think today we have convinced ourselves there's only two sides to the sword. There's the the handle side where we hand out the hurting and there's the side where we get the hurting. But there is a place called healing and it is Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If you're at the place where you're holding on to the handle, dishing out the hurt, maybe the words that are coming out of your mouth and your marriage to your kids, whatever, and you're hurting people by the way that you're living your life, you need to come to the cross. You need to come to a point where you stop trying to be right and you recognize the need to reconcile the responsibility to reconcile. For some of you today, you are on the hurting side and you need to come to the cross and you need to allow Jesus Christ to heal you. I don't know where you're at today, but we are going to close. I'm going to pray and then we're going to give you an opportunity just to come pray. And for some of you today, you've been hurt and you've been carrying around your wounds and, and here's, here's what you believe. You believe you're damaged. And you believe that you don't deserve anything better because you are broken and damaged because people did things to you. Maybe it was a guy in your life that, that, that grabbed you, abused you. Some of you, you have been emotionally abused. Some of you have been sexually abused. Some of you have been physically, verbally abused. And here's the thing. Jesus wants you to come and just spend some time with him at the foot of the cross. For some of you today, you've been the one that's been doing the hurting and you need to come and you need to seek forgiveness from God. For some of you, you don't fit in either of those categories, but you know somebody that has been hurt and this is an opportunity for you to come pray for them. So let me pray and then let's come. Father, as I lay this sword down at the foot of the cross, as I relinquish my way of doing life to your will, I pray that you would stir in our hearts that we would be people who 
don't just listen to the message, but would respond. And Father, right now, there's a bunch of people in this room that need to come and, and do business with you and just pray with you. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to do that, that we would not look at what everybody else is doing, that we would not be concerned with how it will look or what people will say. I'm going to be up here. I need prayer, and I'm the pastor. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And so, God, I just pray that there would be a freedom, a movement of your spirit, that people would be able to come and get freedom today. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.